Hello, everybody, and welcome to Three Point Perspective, the podcast about illustration, how to do it, how to make a living at it, how to make an impact in the world with your art. I'm Jake Parker. I'm Lee White. And I'm Will Terry. And all three of us are professional illustrators, and we've worked with just about every major publisher in the business. We've published somewhere around 50 or 75 books together, and we've all taught illustration at universities. Each week, we come at you guys with a different topic in illustration. Sometimes we fight, sometimes we agree, but each time you're going to learn something brand new. All right. Before we get into our questions today, I just wanted to highlight something that one of our SVS um, teachers brought up on the forum. And uh, I don't know if you guys read this, but he titled it McGraw Hill Publisher Charging Illustrators a Fee to Get Paid. Did mm. you guys see that? I did. Yeah. I signed a yeah. petition against it and posted it to my Facebook page. Okay. So you want to explain what's going on here? They are. They have set up a an accounting system or whatever, so so illustrators and writers can get paid for uh, you know royalties and advances and stuff like that. But in order to do it, they charge the illustrator a two percent fee to be a part of it, which would be okay if it was an expedited system or some other way. You know, like when you buy something, you can say, okay, give me overnight shipping, and you know you're right. going to pay extra for that. Or just give me the you know the free shipping. It's gonna take five days. Sort of this that would be an okay way to do this if it was just an option to get paid quicker. But it's not. It's mandatory that in order to get paid at all, you have to be willing to suck up this two percent, which it's I think a, is it's the company store. It's it's that's what they're going. You know, it's yeah. the, it's the company store again. It's terrible. It's I mean <laughs> to take two percent so we can pay for their accounting problems. Yeah. is unforgivable to me. Well, and it shows that where they feel they are in the food chain. It's it's an arrogant move. And the question is, do illustrators collectively have enough um, power and enough communication online to be able to say no? Well, I will tell you this. If, if, this, if the petition is still going by the time this thing airs, go to our show notes and... Well, put the link there so you can sign. I signed a petition. Like I said, I put it on my Facebook page just to give some kind of pushback against this and let them know that, hey, we're paying attention. You can't just throw that out there without anybody saying anything. Mm. It'd be interesting to know what a, a, an attorney would say. You know, like what, what would happen if everyone refused to sign it? Would they be forced to, to discontinue that policy? Or could they just sit on the money and go, well, you guys didn't uh, sign up, so we d we're just holding on to the money. Yeah. I don't, I don't I know mean, legally. If you think about it, 2%, you know, it's, for some, it might be a rounding error. But for if you did a, a say you did a $5,000 children's book, just to get your money, you, you'd you have to pay over $100 mm -hmm. to, to get right. that money, you know? Yeah, and if it was the only fee ever, I wouldn't mind it, but we're also paying, a lot of people have to pay their agent, and then they also have to pay taxes, and we also have to pay for all of our equipment that we're using yeah. to make this work. I mean, there's so many things that come out of our paycheck already as freelancers mm -hmm. that uh, at some point you got to draw the line. Yeah, I should be clear too. Like, I don't think they're paying anybody 5,000 for a whole children's book, but <laughs> that's, that's a little low for a, a, I think a children's book. Um, well, if it was uh, 10,000 to be 200 and if it was 20,000, right, it just keeps going up. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. So, yeah. 
All right. We've got a few questions to dig into today. Some good ones. You guys ready for this? Well, let's hear them. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Creating stories after you've already created the characters. I've I've created a character without a story. Now what? This question comes from Jonathan. So I don't know if you guys have had this problem. I do it all the time. Just create a character. Don't even think about what kind of story they'd be a part of. But he says, I know it's usually more beneficial to create a story first and then the characters within the said story, but often I'll create or update characters without a goal or destination in mind. Sometimes ideas grow and mature over time naturally, but other times I want to make something with those characters right then. Um, So essentially the question is, when does the more short-term approach work, like actively pursuing a project for the characters, and when does the more long-term approach work, like letting ideas germinate over time. Um, and so, so the question is, is I don't think it's, so the question is, you know, should you create a character without a story if eventually you want to put that character into a story? Like, is it just enough to create a Luke Skywalker without thinking about the rebellion and the empire and, you know, the force and all that stuff. Uh, or do you want to do it as like, as a whole? Right. Um, so that's, that's the question. He says, I know it's usually more beneficial to create the story first. Sometimes though, I don't know. I don't know if I that's disagree. necessarily it. Yeah. What, I mean, it's sort of, sort of a chicken, chicken in the egg kind of a question, right? In terms mm-hmm. of how stories develop, does the story come first and then the characters are added to it or vice versa like he's asking. I, I think that comes both ways. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I don't think it has to be a decided on approach. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything wrong with making a character and then kind of sitting back and saying, "Okay, what's the world this character lives in?" and starting to explore the story just from the character's point of view, how they end up with the you know, depending on what they have on or what they're holding or what they're doing in your image, how they end up there. And, and is there any other characters that might go with them as a set? And then, you know, where, where do they live? Where would they live? And so you start to flesh it out piece by piece and then come up with the story. Or, you know, do you write a whole story and then do the characters? I think I'd rather almost do it organically, like we're talking about here, by writing the character, because then there's no pressure. If it doesn't go mm-hmm. anywhere, well, then it's just a standalone character. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. no big deal. And I, I think that um, as the artist, you, as the as the author illustrator or artist illustrator, you you can. There's no spoon. You can work both ways. Um, you take the the artist um, Steve Tyler from Aerosmith, and when he was writing that song, Janie's Got a Gun. Have you ever heard mm-hmm. him talk about that? No. He, he came up with that that lyric. Just hit his hit his brain. You know, Janie's Got a Gun. That was the first thing that happened. He's like, Janie's got He's like, well, I need, yeah. I need and, a, a song to go He wrote the with. song around that one little phrase. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really like that song, but <laughs> apparently other people did. And so, yeah, I think you can easily go both ways. And I've done that a bunch of times where you just start drawing and you, you're just coming up with something that's really interesting, which, yeah. which then informs the story. So... I've started off with the title a lot on a story. I mean, which mm -hmm. isn't a great, you know, I would never recommend that for people, but it's happened. I've worked on a number of stories that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think too, I think there's three ways into a story. And one is through the characters. One is through like the actual um, um, events 
that are going to take place or the the message that you're, you know, the theme and the message that you're trying to get across. And then the last one is like through the world. So what you can do as a creator is, is say you create a world, you create an environment, you create, you know, you just world build. And then you can figure out, well, what is the type of story that I want to have take place in this world and then build characters to go along with it. Or you could do it the other way. You could create this story. I really want to tackle the theme of, you know, good versus evil and how, you know, uh, you know, it, it's more important to do what's right, even though it'll cost, you know, it'll cost you, um, uh, you know, you know, some, some price to pay to doing good, but it's still important to do good. Like that's a, a theme that you could explore with a story and then find a character that fits that. Or you could just create a character, look at them and think, what kind of situation would I want to put this in? And usually that extends from like, is this a character who has a certain flaw that needs to be fixed? Or they have a certain like power and ability that needs to be tested and challenged. And so, um, and so that's how I would go about it. If you have a character and you want to put them into a story, give that character a problem that they need to solve. And then your story is how do they go about solving it and how do they, what kind of things do they, um, you know, do they come up with to get them out of that hole that, that you've dug for them, that pit that you've dropped them into. And I think what you'll do is you'll, you'll start finding things you didn't know about the character that you, that you should have you know, that, that you'll come across as you're writing this story and you'll find things about the story that you didn't know through this character. So that, that's kind of the approach that I would, that I would go about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this sort of reminds me of a character that I did for, I just rough sketching for the SVS contest, mm-hmm. um, which by the way, has a new website. Uh, thankful <laughs> to Jake Parker for that. It's criticarena.com. Um, but last month's, the last month's challenge was a traveler and I was just kind of messing around with it. And then I drew a character, ultimately, that I think fit the bill for the Traveler theme. But uh, as you guys know, if you've been listening to, the, to this podcast, that I'm doing a tarot deck. And I like the character so much, I was like, I'm, I, I drew it for the Traveler. But I was like, I'm using that for a tarot deck. And so now I'm in the same boat where I can't use it perfectly because it doesn't fit the themes, but now I'm having to adjust. So I've got the character, and now mm-hmm. I need to just sort of adjust the narrative on the character to fit the project that I'm doing. And so I think you can bend a character to you get the character that you like, and then you just start to bend them for the story. Sort of like what Jake was saying, figure out what kind of story you want to tell. Yeah. For me, it's going to be which card I'm going to do. And then he's going to get all those accessories. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a moving target and you just kind of fill yeah. in the blanks as you go. There's this incredible breakdown of storytelling. I listened to a podcast called Script Notes. <clears throat> Off and on, I listened to it. It's about it's like for screenwriters, people interested in storytelling, screenwriting, stuff like that. And one episode, they did this breakdown of, of Finding Nemo, a story breakdown, how, you know, essentially the guts of how that story works. And it was so amazing because he says, your main character is Marlon. And what is he? He's an overprotective dad. So what's the problem you give him? You kidnap his son. So now what does he have to do? You know, this guy's nervous. He's afraid of the big white ocean. He has to go into the big white ocean to get his son. It's like his worst nightmare. And if you're telling any sort of, you know, substantial story, you want to deal with like 
something that has a little tooth to it. Like give a give a character their worst nightmare and have them have to deal it and overcome overcome it. And so they just went through point by point. It's like, well, what's the first thing? The first thing that he is confronted with is they meet these sharks. I don't know if you guys have seen Finding Nemo, but mm-hmm. they meet these sharks and the and he's freaking out. He's like, sharks. And then he finds out, no, sharks aren't dangerous. They're like fish are food. Fish aren't food. They're friends. So now it's like, wait, <laughs> so the sea's not dangerous? Then it turns out the sharks are dangerous and they want to eat them. And it's just the whole movie is going back and forth between is the ocean dangerous and and him getting just comfortable enough to like be able to deal with it and then showing him like no you're not there yet you have to overcome this one this one more thing you know i have a huge so, problem with this by the way that what you're saying right now because if you have seen my storytelling class at svs which i have a pretty in-depth storytelling video mm-hmm. i break down finding nemo <laughs> <laughs> i'm serious in this exact way like and i filmed it like six years ago Oh, I'm so, going to get some cash. I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> well, you should listen to it. They might have done a, a way better job than you. We'll see. No, 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 no. I'm the originator of this thing. They copied me. I'm serious. I broke it down point by point exactly like that. Finding Nemo. Well, can you do it with, can you do it with uh, Toy Story 3? I can. The, the whole thing with my theory on storytelling is is... Mm-hmm. Get rid of the details for your step one. Like, what is a story about sends the details? And right. so that's how I broke down Finding Nemo. It's really about a, a, a dad looking for his son. It doesn't matter that it's, you know, that what my part two is, what makes that story interesting, which is yeah. the environment and all that other stuff. And so yeah. you can figure out, is it, is, do you have an actually an interesting story or do you just have interesting characters or do you have mm-hmm. both? And that's how you start mm-hmm. to get a, a better story. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right, next question. Uh, It's titled, it's from Miranda. It's titled, this one's for the writers on this site too. Hello from Milwaukee. I've always been interested in telling my own stories. Milwaukee, by the way, I only know it from um, Laverne and Shirley. Shirley. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you guys who don't know what Laverne and Shirley is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there's going to be a big demographic there because right, right. when was that so, show on? I just aged myself. I guess. <laughs> well, you're not well. even really old enough to remember. I don't know how, know how you watched the Laverne Show. How old are you? You're gonna make. Yeah, you don't it. have to say that. Give us any that. chance, we'll take it. I mean, it. this was a show Give that was on. Room, <laughs> wow. Break it. This We're is gonna, gonna make, make our dreams, dreams come, come true. true. Wow. You're not the I, only I, one that can I guess, sing Lee White. I guess there's one consistent thing happening is that we're singing on this podcast at some point every time. <laughs> every episode. <laughs> that was like the 1980s that that, or the early 80s, right? That that. I, yeah, I want to say early 80s. It was a spinoff of Happy Days. Happy Days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which was Happy earlier. Days was a spinoff of American Graffiti, which was George Lucas's second yeah. film. Well, and it so had Lenny, everything comes Lenny back to George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> it, had, it had Lenny, Lenny and, Squiggy. and Squiggy. Yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I just always, I remember I was a little kid and I was fascinated with the intro because they worked in a beer factory mm-hmm. and they would stick, she sticks her glove on one of the beer bottles and it goes through the whole factory right. with the glove on it. It probably destroyed the line. Yeah, completely yeah, wrecked but on they their didn't equipment. film that part. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, why are we talking about Milwaukee and Laverne and Okay, <laughs> back to the question. 
Hello from Milwaukee. <laughs> wow. We are like stinking cats. We cannot stay focused at all. Hello from Milwaukee. I've always been interested in telling my own stories. I, I grouped all these um, questions together because they were all story related. So this uh, Miranda, she's been interested in telling her own stories, not only through illustration, but through writing too. So she's a writer illustrator. If I have completed, if I have a completed manuscript and some sketches of the kind of imagery that I'm going to do for it, who exactly do I submit it to when I've completed it? So you've got a manuscript, you've got some, some sketches, um, the industry term for for that would be like the book dummy. If you have a book dummy, which is essentially a, a sketchy version of your of your children's book, uh, they call it a book dummy, and it's just a way for for the um, art director or the editor or the agent or somebody to get a, a vibe and a feel of what this book is. I would also. Um, have a finished illustration and like a finished illustration of one of the spreads of maybe a cover. book cover, mm-hmm. maybe a, a, a the main character as a part of the submission thing. So first check off those boxes. Um, and this is the kind of thing that we dig in deep into in our uh, children's book pro course. If you go to childrensbookpro.com, you can sign up for that. And like we dig in deep and we we explain here's how you do your character designs for children's books. Here's how you make a book dummy. Here's how you know you put words on a page and figure out which words go on which page and all that stuff. So if if this is the kind of thing that you're you know it's up your alley, you are going to really appreciate the children's book pro um, course that we created. So question is what do you do once you've created that? What do you do, guys? I I would submit to an agent because uh, agents have become um, the leg arm for the publishing industry as far as um, sorting and sifting through Mm -hmm. manuscripts and getting them into the right hands. So editors, you know, the, the, the thing is the agents know what they know the editors personally and they know what they're looking for. And they know what houses are going to publish what. And so when they see your manuscript, they immediately, they go, well, there's five, there's five editors who will be interested in this genre. They might be interested in this book and they might even want to publish it. So that's the advantage there. And getting your book read by an editor today is really tough straight from the artist or, you know, author illustrator to the editor the, the amount of gatekeeping that takes place there is it's almost impossible unless you already have a relationship with that editor or with someone that works in that, um, that, that house. You know, if you're a first time author illustrator, you're just not, I mean, unless you bump into this person at a party, this editor, or, or you stalk them in a restaurant, you're just not going to be able to get through to them. Um, but the agents mm-hmm. can. And so, um, well, are you a, saying that though, if you don't have an agent, then, uh, you know, you're sort of out of luck. I mean, the thing, the neat thing about talking to agents is you don't have to be signed up with them. You don't, they don't have to represent you to talk to them and to submit to them. Um, and they're constantly looking for new talent. They're lo- always looking for that great story. I mean, mm-hmm. the great work always, um, uh, you know, rises to the top and, and catches people's eyes. That's true. Um, so that that's how I would do it. I would I would uh, research agents online and and try to find the the right ones that are 
that represent the type of work that you're doing. And then I would submit to them. I would say that's very true. I think that's a good answer to add to that. Um, I would make a multi pronged approach, I guess, you know, trying to find agents and all that stuff would definitely be one of the avenues to do that. But then also the things like SCBWI um, conferences mm -hmm. and any kind of grouping, you know, of, of either live, I guess maybe it's taking place on zoom now too. those kind of conferences. Um, there, that's an easy way to at least start to introduce yourself to these people, these agents and publishers and get a relationship going. You're not going to get a deal from one of these things just by going, but I think it's important to just open up, you know, have a couple of different ways to do it. And then lastly, I was going to say like the second I would get done with that manuscript and a you know, a couple characters and a couple of spreads, start working on your next one because I think the one that actually hits is one out of 10 that you actually wrote. And mm -hmm. I've met a lot mm -hmm. of people, students, that they write one and then I'll see them three years later and they're still shopping that one. Mm -hmm. So don't hold too yeah. tightly to one. It's a, you know, it's, it's a numbers game. And I think just having multiple stories, and a lot of times editors and, and agents will say that, well, I'm not really a fan of this story, but do you have something else? You do not mm -hmm. want to be true. sitting there going, no, I have nothing. Mm -hmm. So it's true. Yeah. And then when you, if you were to go to one of those SCBWI conferences and you did, um, they, they charge a little bit to meet with an editor and there's usually a limited number of spaces. Maybe they'll sell um, 10 slots um, for an editor to meet individually with the author illustrator or just an author. And um, they will ask you, it's a, it's a basically a pitch session. And so they'll say, what do you got? And so you, you're basically, you're saying, well, I got a story about this. I'm like, okay, what else you got? And I've, I've watched that happen. I've, I've been to, um, um, the um, ALA, which is the American Library Association um, conferences, and I've been to a, a bunch of those. And editors are the the major, you know, the, all the top editors go to those. And I've been with with authors walking around, bump into an editor, and they get into a conversation. Well, what are you working on? And then the the author that I was with at the time happened to be Rick Walton. Said I got a story. He just went into pitch mode. Like I got a story about, you know, an elephant and a giraffe and blah, blah, blah. And then I've got this, and they're like, what else you got? And just going through the list of his new stories hmm. that he had memorized an elevator pitch on each one. Perfect. Oh, really? That sounds great. Send them to me, you know? And even though he got invited to send some, you know, he, I don't, he may or may not have gotten them, one of them published. I mean, like they, you got to have a lot of ideas and that's a, that's a concept for uh, both authors and illustrators that are in the beginning stages of their career that, you know, they're working on a, on a illustration or a story today and they treat it as if it's this, this golden little mm -hmm. pet project that you, you've got to get to the point where you realize that your art is disposable and is, you know, is not that special each individually as a collective, your art is special, but not each individual idea is not always going to bear fruit. So you've got to have a lot right. of ideas. I have a philosophy or a, a doctrine that I'm formulating. I've been thinking about lately um, as for um, creating things. And that is the, the rule of threes essentially. And that is anytime I come up with an idea, my, I get it in my head that I need to do three versions of it or three iterations of it. And so if it's like, 
you know, I have an idea for a children's book and it's going to be with these two characters. I don't come up with just the one story I'll come up with. Well, let's put them in this first story. Let's see what they would do in a second story and a third story. Or if I'm, it's, it's macro and it's micro. If I'm doing just a, a character design, I will do three versions of it instead of just the one version of it, you know? So that way you just, you kind of cover bases. You, you explore areas that you, your, your brain wouldn't normally go towards. So, um, so yeah, that's just something I've been thinking about, you know? That's good. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Miranda slips in a, a second question and she says, <laughs> do you think it's worth the time and money to be an author illustrator? Oh yeah. Time and money. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's the only thing I think it's the, it's, it's, it's really the only uh, way to make it, I think as an, as an illustrator now, I mean, I, I, and, Mm. and why not double your profit? If you can, you get to control how the story works. You get control how the, the illustrations and the text interact. And you also automatically have something more interesting to give to somebody. If there's, if there's text in a, and, and nice pictures with it, what art, what editor or art director wouldn't be interested in that? I think it's an easy yeah. sell, in other words. And for, for those who are listening who aren't uh, familiar with the way that the, the publishing world works, the author and the illustrator get paid about the same, usually roughly the same, the same percentage. Um, in children's picture books, it's about, it's the average is about 5% each. So what Lee's talking about there is that you, you would get 10% royalty. if you... Royalty plus yeah, plus the bigger advance, yeah. So yeah. yeah, and and the other the other reason for that when when you go when you talk about it being more lucrative, or it, you know, is it worth it to be author and illustrator? Is, is that um, uh, we we're living in a publishing world today where publishers really love the idea of of marketing one person instead of two, and mm-hmm. it cuts That's their true. workload down. They're they're only dealing with one person there's half the paperwork um there's there's also for the art itself when you're writing and illustrating your own manuscript you you can more efficiently write and illustrate you can you can leave out a lot in the text because you're going to pick it up in the pictures and marry the the pictures and the words together in my opinion better than often better not always but often better than an author now some the best authors write confidently because they know that the they trust the illustrator and they know that the illustrator is going to going to pick up not the slack but it's it's almost like a um it's like a comedy team right mm-hmm. you know a per- perfectly well-oiled comedy team they rely on each other like Penn and Teller right mm-hmm. they they work together they know each other's roles and and they 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 uh, are like one mind almost and, and I, so I would think it's more like ice skaters, like a ice skating couple. Mm, probably more like. I think it's more like um, peanut butter and jelly. Probably more like riding a tandem bike is, is probably more what it's like. Or riding a horse. <laughs> now, I'm going like to say something. A rider. Or being I'm going to say something controversial here. <laughs> okay. A good. Well, I will add the asterisk that what Will said is right. When there's a good writer and the story is good. It really is a 50-50 collaboration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess I'll ask this as a question instead of a statement so I don't get in trouble. <laughs> Do you guys think 
in a lot of children's stories that the that it's equal lifting among the illustrator and the writer. You I feel like the illustrator does heavy lifting. Yeah, I feel like I feel so, like a lot of times the writer sort of hints at something that might be cool, mm -hmm. and then the illustrator has to figure out what that cool thing is or how these relationships yeah. are working. Yeah. I feel like on a lot of stories I've done, I've had to clear up confusing parts of the mm -hmm. story, and I don't want to take away from the writers that I've worked for because I love my writers, but um, but I'm doing more work. It's definitely um, there is a we live in a writer's world. Mm -hmm. It seems like in reviews and everything, it's like, I, I, you've said this before, it's like you read a review and it's like the, the story, this, you know, the characters that, and it, they'll just gush about the story and the illustrations are done by this person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're just an after, afterthought. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because with, you know, when I, I got into an argument early on in my career with a friend um, who's a writer and um, I respect her immensely. And um, I, my opinion at that time was that my contribution was more important than the author. And mm -hmm. she strongly disagreed. You know, her, you know, and obviously we're going to, as an illustrator, you're going to overestimate your ability as an author, yeah. you're going to overestimate your worth, right? And mm -hmm. um, her, she kept going back to this thing, your illustrations can't exist if I don't start it. If I don't mm -hmm. originate it, and and the whole and and over time, um, I have come around to that level of thinking that if you if you um, if you think about anyone in, in any artist who has become rich financially, really successful, um, especially in the music industry, it's it's the writer, it's the lyrics. You know, it's like you can you can replace a bass player, a drummer. I mean, like in fact, a lot of bands is is a one or two person mm -hmm. band and then they just hire out their bassist and their their drums to anybody if they if they tour they'll pick up a a bassist in another city that mm -hmm. that person is is replaceable but the or, the writing of that song the origination of that song was where the gold is and uh so for that reason I tend to lean on the fact that I hate to admit it, but I think that the that the author is more important than the the illustrator. Oh, we've got a good what? battle going on. But <laughs> okay, so let me. I know I agree. But if that's if it's a good story, and then and then uh, and and has like good illustratable moments and all that stuff. But I would say this: if you have a well written but poorly illustrated picture book on one side, and then a poorly written but well illustrated book on the other, mm -hmm. the well illustrated one would win every time in terms of a purchase or in terms of what people like. You can have marginal writing and great illustration and have a great book, mm. but not vice versa. I don't know. You take there's a lot of books and I, I wanna list them but I don't because it would disparage the, <laughs> the, the either the author or the illustrator. But there's there's an illustrator who's like really famous in animation and his first name's Peter. <laughs> 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 He did a book that was, I mean, at the year, I mean, this was like 10 years ago, I believe. And yeah. he was on lists for winning the Caldecott and he, you know, he didn't get anything. And then I had authors say, well, the story was poorly written. I mean, it was like not a great story, you know? Um, mm. And I've seen a lot like that where they're just 
So I've bought, <laughs> my shelf behind me is filled with greatly illustrated books with poor stories. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> because that's, exactly. when I, that's what I buy. Okay. Yeah. But the books that win Caldecott's almost always have, well, a lot no, of no, times no, it's but political. The, bo the books that win Caldecott are author illustrator. I would they say are. it's yeah, transition to that. That yeah. that has the most, I mean, go back to our original question. That has the most, most worth and it's easier for a good illustrator to just, you know, do the best they can on the writing and mm -hmm. get something made versus so, a writer trying to learn how to be an illustrator. So I actually, I was joking earlier, but I think my analogy works. It's like a, a horse and a writer, like a horse could say to the writer, you know, I, my contribution to this race is way more than than your than what you're doing. And the writer could be like, "You had no, you have no, you have all this power. You have no idea where where to go That's in right. this race, and when to break, and when to draft, and, and when to, yeah." And the real answer here, the winner in all this, is the are the centaurs. So the ones that are. <laughs> It's very true. It's exactly where I thought you were going with that story, <laughs> that analogy. So our advice is, is be a centaur. <laughs> All right, next question. Now wait, we should break down. We should break down Little Bot and Sparrow. Was that a great story? Brilliant story. <laughs> you know, illustrations that that meet meet the the words uh -huh. really well. Now, now um, we have talked about. Us three, I don't know if it would be part of this podcast or, or a separate thing, but breaking down picture books by how, by the illustrations and by how it matches the story, your, the illustration contribution to the story, how mm -hmm. the two mesh together, and just doing that because there's not too much information out there really from an illustration point of view. Like Jake was saying earlier, you read the reviews, Kirkus Reviews, Publishers Weekly. It really is author-centric and uh, and the the illustrator just is like, yeah, they did. They there was pictures, and they were drawn by this person. Um, there's not too <laughs> right. much of it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it's I don't true. know, but it'd be fun to break, start to break stuff down in a real way. I don't know if Jake uh -huh. wants to do that right now with with Little Bot and Sparrow, but man, it would be. I think that would be a fun I way should, to spend. We some should time. do that for a like a live session, we a should. jump session or something. But this, let's do it. We do these. We do these jump sessions. Let's do it for a jump session. Okay, I'll do. I'll break down. Little Bot and Sparrow. Now that that was Jake's book, author mm -hmm. illustrator, and yep. I have to. I'm just going to put this out there now. I liked your original version first, and I've told you that before. The comic version. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now the question is, can can we honestly, since we are part of this industry, can we honestly say what we think about? Oh, this writing is bad, or I don't like this writing, but the illustration is great, or vice versa. That's some pretty controversial. We got to. Um, okay let's have a meeting. The... Let's have a meeting on the podcast. You guys that are listening right now, just hold. We're gonna have a a business meeting <laughs> really? about a quick meeting about what but we should do. I, if you guys can chime in, give a review of our podcast, and then tell us whether you would want to hear a breakdown of stories like that. I'd like to hear how many people are interested. Well, in yeah. That. I mean, I mean, we could do it on the podcast too. Just um, if you want to see the images, go to the YouTube. But if you if you're fine listening to it, we can do a good job. Yeah, let's do it. That'd be fun. Yeah, it'd be cool. All right. Last question. Uh, this comes from Dan and Jason, and their title is Reaching Out and Touching Readers Metaphorically. Um, first off, they just want to thank us for the podcast. It says, they say, it has been a real resource for us. And if you don't know who Dan and Jason are, they are 
uh, professional author illustrator team. Um, they have a new book out from First Second Books called Blueberry and Pancakes. And their question is, is how does one launch a book in post-COVID times? The promotional team with the publisher is great, but we recently listened to your podcast about book launches and it had a lot of creative DIY ideas about promoting and book launches. We're wondering if you yourself have any ideas or have heard any interesting techniques for book launches in this newly socially distanced distance world. Thanks again, Dan and Jason. So yeah, what do you guys think? Um, Lee and I have both launched books during COVID. Uh, I had a book come out last October, I think it was, Awesome Man 2. And you had This Pretty Planet come out uh, around the same time. Um, I'll be honest, this whole thing caught me a little off guard. And and um, other than just posting about it on social media, I didn't do much to to really launch it. That doesn't mean I don't have some good ideas, but I'm curious what you guys think. Same. Well, one thing any, you can I do is I, I, I launched, um, I mean, did the promotion for uh, Bonaparte Falls Apart, the uh, Bonaparte Plays Ball, the, the sequel. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, that we did, and this was through Mar- largely due to Marjorie Kyler, the author, was um, she she reached out to um, Julie Gribble on Kidlit TV and mm-hmm. um, got us a a nice. Um, I mean, we got to be the show that day, that for that episode, yeah. and you know, we had to rehearse. And we had to um, wear funky glasses and and stuff and and play to the kids and uh, mm-hmm. they have. I a, remember that I showed up for part of that. It was really cool. Oh yeah. So and they have a huge audience. So there are. Um, I mean, that's one that I know of that you can reach out to. I'm sure that it's um, not easy to get on there, but um, that would be one option. I mean, without being able to physically meet with people, you're going to have to look for online opportunities maybe Mm -hmm. um collaborations with other youtubers collaborations with people that have um channels where they're they're um promoting to parents with kids Uh, here's what i would do and it it goes it piggybacks on on what will is saying um what i would do is like do an instagram tour or a youtube tour book tour uh or a facebook tour and what it is is you reach out to 10 15 different people in the kidlet space who have a platform uh on on any of these channels and you say hey let's do a live stream together mm-hmm. and um and have it not it, it, i mean it's the same thing they do uh, for talk shows right for um late night talk shows um robert Downey jr is our guest tonight oh sweet robert Downey jr and they they joke and they they do maybe a skit or something together and at the very end he's like oh by the way he's got a new movie coming out go see dr doolittle in theaters this weekend right and um um and so essentially the whole that whole system is set up for um these guys to have a free um a free way to get their product out there in front of a bunch of eyes and for the um for the show to have essentially a free guest mm-hmm. all they have to do is promote 
promote their book. And it's the same thing on this more micro scale where, you know, maybe someone has 10,000 followers on an Instagram account, but these 10,000 followers are the demographic that would be buying your product. And you guys could do an Instagram live together. You could do a takeover of their account. You could, um, um, you know, you could do any, any sort of collaborative thing where maybe they do something on your account, you do something on their account. So I would, I would go about doing that. And, and eventually, you know, if you do it, if you're able to do the hustle and the grind and, and get it 10, 15, 20 of these accounts to do it, the kind the kind of reach that you can have is massive. Um, so I would do that. And that's outside of doing all the other stuff you're supposed to be doing, like building an email list, you know, building your own social media platform and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I got, I have a whole different take on, on this question and I don't know if I want to go. Mm. Is, I see I, I, you're, you're doing your little pursed lips thing where you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. okay, I'm going to be honest with you here. I, I there, there's, there's a couple different ways to go about promotion from a book. Let's forget COVID times now. I'm just talking just normally when you do a book. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Well, there's there's the model that you come out with a book, and then and for those of you guys who maybe don't know this, this will, this will be good information that a lot of illustrators and authors make their a good chunk of their yearly living from after they do the book, they schedule these school visits, yeah. and they will lump them all together, and they get you know it's it's thousand bucks a day, 1500 bucks a day ish up to, up to probably 2,500, maybe depending on if they're well known or not. Um, and then they book a bunch of schools all in a row. So they got, you know, a week, they got three or four visits and, and, and it's a good chunk of change. I, I feel bad for them during COVID because I don't know how that, how that played out. If you don't do that, which I don't, I have not been an active person doing that. I don't really know what I don't understand the book promotion part of it because how it plays out in my world is I've spent the last year of my life on this book. I've been paid a okay amount for doing that work, mm-hmm. but once the book and and you know it's and then by the time I deliver the artwork it's 6 months later when the book comes out or whatever. Um and so I have moved on with my life because I there's no income coming in. So for me to all of a sudden stop once the books arrive at my house and then plan bookstore visits. And again, we're not talking about COVID time yet, so it has been adjusted a little bit, but I don't understand it even under normal times. I just basically say, okay, here's some books that I have. I'm going to sign them and give them to my family. And then I'm, I'm already on to the next project because mm-hmm. that's the paying gig. Otherwise, I'm paying to go to another city like, oh, do bookstore visits. Well, okay, I'm going to drive my car. Or am I going to fly there? I got to pay for mm-hmm. that. It's one thing if the publisher's doing that, and they do do that for certain books and certain illustrators, I guess, but I'm just talking the normal illustrator like like me. I have not had a, a publisher pay for a book tour. So when it comes, people are like, oh, how are you promoting your book? I'm like, I'm not. I hope the publisher is because I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm on to the next yeah. project. And I, and I truly don't understand it if you're mm-hmm. not doing, and if you are doing the school visits, how are you doing new work um, to, mm-hmm. for the next yeah. book? And so it, the whole part of that is really confusing to me. And I've done, I've done almost 30 books and I still don't understand it. So yeah. I, I think that you hit the nail on the head, though. There's really, there are different ways to be successful as an illustrator in the children's book industry. And so for me, I have I have created other um, sources of income with my illustration, but beyond, um, you know, illustrating children's book after children's book after children's book. 
because because I one I really don't want I I did the children's book uh, I did the the um, going to school visits a lot um, 10 15 years ago and as much as I like pre- the presenting part for the kids it is a day that just drains me and I come away just I don't know I like it's a high energy could, situation it's a high energy situation it's 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 nerve-wracking I think I told the story on this podcast once of uh, I didn't when when we first had uh, push notifications, I got a push notification on the screen in the presentation in the auditorium from an inappropriate friend that just froze me in my tracks, you know, because I I didn't. (laughs) I don't remember that. That's funny. Oh, yeah. It was so embarrassing. And the teachers, you know, they had their their jaws dropped, you know, and uh, (laughs) how do I not know this story? I did not know that story. (laughs) Everyone has that. Lesson there is to put your phone on airplane mode. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Oh, I learned that one after that. But I, I would, I did, didn't, I, I did a week in Texas one time of, of um, two school, two different schools a day for five days. So 10 different schools and the money was great, but I came home going, I don't ever want to do that again. It's just not me, <laughs> but I have, <laughs> I have a, a friend, David Bedricki, um, mm-hmm. and he's an author illustrator and that's what he does. And he, you know, he's a darling to his publishers because he um, sells books. He goes to the schools. He's in the schools all year long. I don't know what he what he's done over COVID. I'm sure he's done a lot of virtual um, school visits, but um, most of his income is made was made through the school visits more than through the books. But you know, it's it's like a symbiotic relationship with the the school visits because if he's not making books, he can't do school visits, and if he's not doing school visits, he's not selling the books. So that's that's right. a way, and and I guarantee you, the publishers love him. They also love Jerry Pilata, who mm-hmm. is not an illustrator. He's a, he's an author. He's one of uh, I illustrated one of his books, and he that's what he does. His whole year is is every week he's flying to a different state or a different country, and he's doing these school visits. And I have this theory, and I, and this is not about their books. Um, speaking of David's and Jerry's, but my theory is. Their, the quality of their writing could go down mm-hmm. and they're still going to sell their manuscripts because guess what? They're selling books right. and it's, a, and it's a, it's a numbers. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to be able to sell books to, to be viable to a publisher. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that to me, if I were, if, if all I ever wanted to do was illustrate children's books and that's it, I would go the school visit route. I would, I would, and, and you would do fewer books because a lot of your time is in the schools Mm -hmm. and I would just, uh, do a book a year and Mm -hmm. then be selling that. And then you get to sell your backlist. So what, what, uh, David does and what a lot of these authors do is they send a, an order form to the school a month in advance, two months in advance for the kids to order their books so that when the author gets there, they give out the books to the kids that ordered one. And then the author signs, illustrator signs them all. That's a very viable way to do it. But I'm with you, Lee, Uh, as far as like a book launch, there's, I mean, let's face it, going to your local Barnes and Noble is a waste of time unless you are a name already. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, nobody cares about their getting, getting their book signed by the author illustrator, unless the author illustrator is a big name. 
Right. People will buy a book from some author illustrator. They don't even know who they are. If, if there's a huge line and everyone's like, can you believe so-and-so is here today? Well, I guess I better right. buy their book and get it signed, you know? Yeah, the financial so. incentive at, at a bookstore signing is so low for the illustrator because you got to think I'm making a, my royalty rate off how much they sell. And say there's 200 people there and I sell they sell 200 bucks. I, mean, I didn't make anything off of that. You know well, what I mean? Yeah. And so, well, how much you get in a, how much do you guys get a book? 75 cents? So. Yeah, 60 yeah. cents to a dollar. Okay, know. so let's say a dollar, let, yeah. Let, let's, let's say, say let's say hi, you get a dollar. Well, the I've done probably I've done Barnes and Noble signings probably five times before I realized it wasn't worth it. And I think <laughs> the the best one I sold 10 books, so I made and I wasn't getting a dollar book, you know. <laughs> right. A, and so I've never understood it. And that's why I'm just like, and, nope. I, I, they're just saying, you know, I get an email from the publisher. Hey, let's coordinate some stuff. And I'm I'm sort of thinking in the back of my head, okay, show me what our budget is that you're going to pay me to go to these things. Right, right. Otherwise, I'm on to the next project because that's where mm-hmm. the money is. Mm-hmm. And my interest is as well. And and really, I have to clarify because, you know, you you know that people are listening to this and they're going... That's not true. I know somebody that did really well. I I know uh, uh, I have a friend Brandon Dorman, um, who or not Brandon Dorman. Brandon, oh, what's his name? Mull. Brandon Mull. Yeah, thank you. Brandon Mull. Who, ironically, his books were illustrated by Brandon Dorman. <laughs> <laughs> right. But Brandon right. Mull's an author, and really quick in a nutshell, he would he came up with he and his publisher. Oh, yeah. He and his publisher um, came up with a great marketing plan using Barnes and Nobles. They mm-hmm. gave away free um, school visits. So they said, D- you don't owe us anything. We're just going to come in for half an hour. We're going to do a rah-rah session with your kids in the auditorium and, and promote reading. Like you want your kids to read. We well, got these fun uh, fantasy books. And so he would go in there and pump them up and go, you guys like to read here? And he would talk about the story and I don't know all the things he would do, but he would get Mm -hmm. the kids. He was really good in front of the kids. And he'd say, okay, on Saturday, I'm going to be over at this Barnes and Noble. You know, and he's in a different state, but he's like, but this one particular one here and meet me there and you can, I'll sign your book and tell your parents to, to bring you there. And he would do five, four or five schools in a day. So Mm -hmm. for a week he would do, let's say 20 schools. He had lines around the Barnes and Noble, and the first the first uh, times that he was doing that, they wouldn't order enough books. He was like, "What well, we're going to need two or three hundred books, four hundred books," and they had like ten. They're like, "Yeah, no one ever sells any books, so you're not getting. We're not ordering all those." And so he brought his own. They brought cases in the car and worked out a way to get them cataloged mm-hmm. into the system of Barnes and Noble. And then they had the CMs, so CRMs from those stores call ahead to the next ones. And he ended up doing that over and over and over and ended up uh, the series that he was selling was Fable Haven. And that's how he put Fable Haven on the map. That book yeah. could have been a no, no success book, just like so many. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's still being sold in Barnes & Noble today, 10, 15 years later. Yeah, because he rock starred that thing with a with an innovative plan. So when if if we're stuck and we're saying we don't know how, I mean, like Lee's over there giving you bad news reports, like there's no way to get it. Well, and and to, to you know, I'm with you. I'm with you, Lee. But you got you 
you can also write your own manual. You can come up with your own idea on how to promote stuff. It's it's mm -hmm. not all been thought of. True. And Very true. That's great. Side note, I was at an ALA um, in LA, the, the, the big convention with 25,000. Association. Yeah, 25,000 librarians. And the publisher of that Fable Haven was there. I was there with Brandon. And I uh, just, we just happened to go together. And his publisher was there. And the the head editor for Simon Schuster was there. They were selling that series to Simon and Schuster or or partnering with them to to distribute it because the small publisher, um, Shadow Mountain, that originally published it couldn't handle the demand. Wow. And they needed a bigger publisher to to send it to. And I was there when they told that story on how they came up with the idea to market it to this senior editor. Mm -hmm. And he's just shaking his head like I that's I can't believe he was amazed, and he's the you know in the top of the industry, one of the top five right. publishers, and he's just shaking his head like, "Wow, good way to go, guys!" I mean, that's so creative of an idea. Mm -hmm. So, come up with your own idea on how to market it, yeah. and let us know when you do. <laughs> <laughs> yep, follow up, follow up, please, with us. <laughs> <laughs> Did we good. answer the question? I don't know. I mean, we went all over the I map. Mean, on we that. were all over the all of that. I think I did a great answer. Uh, I don't know about <laughs> you guys, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all right, let's call it. Let's call it good for today. Uh, you guys, what do you guys think of that? We done. Yeah, let's wrap it Sounds up. Good. We're done. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Three Point Perspective is made possible by SVSLearn.com. We're becoming. A great illustrator starts and your hosts they have been will terry lee white and myself jake parker will terry his work can be found at willterry.com and on instagram at will terry art lee white can be found at leewhiteillustration.com and on instagram lee white illo and my work can be found at mrjakeparker.com and on instagram at jake parker podcast produced by daniel two that's daniel tu you can find his work at daniel2.co and special thanks to our production manager at SVS, David Bro, for all of his work and making sure things are, are running smoothly over here. And a thank you to our social media specialist, Lisa Fott, for all that she does to get this podcast out to you guys on social media. Um, you know, if you like this podcast episode, just give us a review. All, that's all we ask in return. Maybe tell somebody about it. That'd be great too. Send them a link to this episode. And if you actually have a better answer than one of us. I, I know it's, it's possible. It's possible. It's you, highly possible. Right. You could go to the svslearn.com forum, which is free to join and, and make an account there. And we have a, we have a thread devoted specifically to this episode. So go there and, and let us know what you think. Um, all right. I think that's it. And uh, we'll see you guys next time.